so I'm not exactly the biggest fan of saying in order of fairness, because life's not fair. But where it is often necessary is we like to proclaim reasonable thoughts. I know it goes against embrace, debate, sports media culture that's out there. And if you love blasphemous and irate and people getting upset and worked up, needless to say that while we are clearly opinionated in the fast lane, that's not exactly how we choose to do things. But I will get on NBA Twitter a lot because of the irrationality of that particular group of people. Because let's not kid ourselves. If it's on social media and you're part of a fervent community there, nothing says rational and logical quite like that line of thinking. But then there's the other part to this. And this is NASCAR Twitter, which needs to be equally criticized. And yes, there are times where I will praise or... I'll be diplomatic here. Critique NASCAR. But yesterday at Atlanta, it makes absolutely no sense to me why people are getting on NASCAR's case for their decision in the moment to call the race, initially waving the red flag to stop cars from going at all on the track, and then Well, you know, doing that after running some caution laps to see how the weather was going to regress, if you were. And then ultimately saying, all right, yellow flag, weather's regressing, we'll turn it into a red. We're going to call this race because it's past halfway. Okay, I get it. For some, two weeks in a row of shorter races and adjusted on the fly strategy is not a good thing. Never mind the fact that, you know, you got a lot of teams out there that invest so much in analytics, you would think they could adjust on the fly and maybe incorporate that with projected weather forecasts that might be coming in. I mean, it seems like it may be asking a lot, but when you're talking about multi-million dollar investments, if these people are willing to throw around enough, in the immortal words of our guy Kenny Powers, dollar, dollar bills, y'all, then in essence, they should be able to be accountable for the power of dollar, dollar bills, y'all. And make educated decisions. And see, here's the thing. You're talking about NASCAR in the moment. It was a call that they had to make. Now, I'm not going to play any clips from Trey's friends at frontstretch.com speaking with Liberty University driver William Byron. He is a Liberty University product, after all, and drives the car for Hendrick Motorsports. Not going to speak on that one because he wins the race. And inevitably, if you win, you're almost always going to be praiseworthy of the decision because you want to sell how your result is as legitimate as possible. So let's take that one out. And then look at the drivers that finished away from victory lane. Close. Maybe could have gotten there if the race breaks differently. But in essence, they missed a chance. And what do you know? There are a number of drivers that fall into this category of drivers who could have gotten to victory lane if things broke differently. Drivers that, frankly, yes, a top five finish is good for them, but a win would have been much better because that would have locked them into the playoffs as opposed to still being on edge and playing the points game or maybe the dirty four-letter word game hope or maybe a blend of both of those. In essence, you are playing that if you're playing the points game because you don't have the wins to lock yourself in the playoffs. So you are hoping things break right for you and other competitors out there. Let's start with A.J. Allmendinger. Top five finish. Top three finish. NASCAR had to make the call. This according to his conversations and his own words with Bob Pockers, NASCAR on Fox veteran reporter. 
it was coming, right? Like, everybody was looking at it. You know, the, I think the bigger thing was it wasn't even so much the rain. It was if a lightning delay all of a sudden popped up and, and it ended the race right there. So everybody was kind of, I felt like from lap 120 on, kind of racing to halfway or racing to the point of whenever they were going to call it. Um, so it was aggressive. A.J. Allmendinger, aggressive, but gave a defined lap, lap 120 on. I mean, if he and his less-funded colleague racing team can figure this out, then other drivers from more well-funded organizations probably figure this out. So NASCAR fans that are upset and going to NASCAR Twitter and venting on NASCAR and getting really vilified uh, takes about how NASCAR should have handled this differently. Really? I mean, this guy could have possibly won the race if things went differently, if they you know, kept racing a little bit longer, and instead he misses out on that chance. In fact, A.J. Allmendinger elaborated with Bob Pachris, doubling down that NASCAR made the right call. Well, it was, we all saw it was right on the edge. Like one lap, it'd start sprinkling, and then it would kind of stop, and then it would start again. Um, I think we've been on the bad side of trying to race into the rain. Uh, so, you know, I thought NASCAR made a good decision of like, hey, let's not try to rush this and kind of see what the weather. We all saw what the radar was going to be. Um, but, yeah, you're torn. Like, I, I, I wanted a shot to win this race. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a super speedway. We would have went back green and all torn them all up and finished 30th. So at the end of the day, it was a, a great day. We ran up front, led a couple laps, and got top five finish. A.J. Allmendinger, NASCAR driver, could have won the race. If he does, he locks himself into the playoffs and doesn't have to worry about hoping he gets together at a road course where they've been good, but they have not been the threat to win that people projected that they would some at some point be. But there's more to this. Daniel Suarez mixed feelings about how this race ended but as he noted with trey's colleagues from frontstretch.com nascar was conservative in a good way you know it's tough nascar is in a very tough situation you know that may if you do that may if you don't uh, we've been in the situation in the past a couple of times where nascar tried to get every single minute of the right racetrack and, and then we ended up on a wreck and uh, maybe maybe we had five more minutes of uh, of racing but I mean, you can see it now. I mean, it's, it's boring. So I feel like NASCAR maybe was a little bit conservative, but it's in a smart way. Daniel Suarez speaking with Trey's colleagues at FrontStretch.com. And we'll speak with one of them, Brad Harrison. B-Rad, not from Boo, but B-Rad from wherever he is in this world of ours when he joins us around 5.50 today in the back half of covering the Commonwealth. Daniel Suarez, a driver that, frankly, the pressure is getting heavier on him to get to victory lane or lock himself into the chase for the playoffs once again. Did it last year, but now his teammate and colleague, Ross Chastain, has already re-solidified himself in the playoffs with that victory at Nashville a couple of weeks ago. By the way, if Suarez got the win, he would have made it three straight weeks with three different drivers for Trackhouse getting the victory lane. But the Project 91 team has gotten there, Chastain has, Suarez hasn't, and in spite of that, Daniel Suarez, enough presence of mind to not criticize NASCAR like the irrational fans that are upset are somehow doing out there. I know fan is short for fanatic. Yes, it's on my soapbox right now, but it is what it is. Oh, yeah, one more. Michael McDowell, FrenchStretch.com. Oh, let's lump him into this category. He's a guy who's run very well on these tapered spacers. Daytona 500 winner a couple of years ago, has run well at Atlanta and Talladega previously. There's only one more of these type of tracks that fit his strong suits, and he is a good road course racer, so there's the possibility this could work out, but... He, too, said the same thing to FrontStretch.com. While he would have loved to have gotten to victory lane, 
He's not blaming NASCAR. Well, I think that they were just, it was drizzling lightly, and they didn't want to go back to green with it drizzling, and they knew it was going to rain eventually. But you don't want to pull all the cars down pit road before it rains. Um, but it was coming, and as we saw, it, it came right after we got out of the race car. So uh, I think all that was... Uh, good. They learn from their mistakes or uh, mishaps that we've had, you know, with Super Speedways Daytona last year, and and it's so hard to call because you can see the weather; it's there. But as you guys know, a lot of time it skirts by us, right? But if it doesn't, and all of a sudden the rain picks up, there's no time to throw the caution. That first car that hits it, it's going to crash. So it's a it's a dicey situation. So at places like this, where you're close to 200 miles an hour and you're two and three wide, you just can't chance it so i think they did all the right things there's this saying that i like to employ in a self-deprecating way there are a lot of people i know it's going to come as a shock to you trey there are a lot of people that say i speak with a high volume i talk loudly it may be upsetting to me at times to hear that and initially it was really upsetting when i heard it but over time i've realized this much they cannot all be wrong and somehow i would be right in disagreeing with them and they're not all ganging up on me by telling me the exact same thing. In a lot of cases, people saying I talk loudly, shocker here, that they might not have even spoken to each other. They might even know each other exists. Now, NASCAR drivers obviously know each other exists, but it's not like they got together AJ Allmendinger, Daniel Suarez, and Michael McDowell and said, hey guys, we're getting ready to speak with frontstretch.com after the race, among other media members. Before we do that, we all need to get on the same page here, even though we have different organizations, different manufacturers, different interests and sponsors that need to be met with. Let's all get on the same page here and just have the same message. They're not even on the same team. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And they all said this. NASCAR did the right thing. Now, if you want to get on NASCAR for putting a race in Atlanta in the month of July, where you have to run it in the nighttime, because as our weather guy likes to remind us, it's looking a little bit like those Dallas Cowboys is peaking in the 90s. And Probably is, peaking higher than the 90s, but that's a good point. I mean, you know, Trey, if you're going to do that and you're going to run a race in Atlanta, temperatures peaking in the 90s, or as you noted, higher, maybe you want to rethink Atlanta's place on the schedule. But if you're going to run a race in Atlanta in July, you do hold it at night, you know you got to get to halfway. These teams have all sorts of things built into place in terms of metrics, how to handle situations, how to adjust on the fly. I mean, if anything was an indicator of that, it was the Liberty University car of William Byron and Hendrick Motorsports. They're one of the most well-funded organizations in all of sports, and certainly in motorsports. 75 car dealerships for Rick Hendrick's group. They obviously have the, as we note from Kenny Powers, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. To be able to put into research. And it you know, paid off for them, but it paid off for other teams too. I mean, Trey, NASCAR made the best decision last night. You want to criticize Atlanta's place on the schedule and the timing of it? I get that part of it. But you can't run it during the day. Running it at 1 o'clock is asinine. Running it at 3.30 isn't a whole lot better because the race is still going to wrap up when it's light outside. You do run it at night. You run the risk of inclement weather at any point during the summer, especially in the South or in the Midwest. But the reality is, is in most parts of the country, this is an inherent risk that you could get these type of weather-impacted events and yes, it's the old joke about if you need rain in your area, just bring NASCAR around and it will happen because we've seen that play out a number of times. This, Chicago, Dover was a rain-adjusted race, the Coke 600 as well. We've already had at least four of them, and maybe I'm forgetting another off the top of my head. So we've had all of that this year. Truth is, is at some point, you got to try to get the race in. And oh, by the way, sometimes less is more, and maybe that's not a bad thing because I thought the racing was actually really good last night. 
whether you knew whether it was going to be a factor or not, and I think most teams did, the urgency was there from the get-go, and the fans were still treated to a good product. It was the only choice, Ed, frankly. Um, there were many colleagues of mine who were upset. Adam Cheek, Brian Nolan, which Brian will go off on his podcast later this week, bringing heat with Brian Nolan, um, which I produce, as well as this show. Um that they could have got another green flag lap in. It, like that caution, that last caution was way too long. I never thought it was. As soon as there were reports of drizzles, which, alert folks, the camera was catching during the entire caution. You could clearly see rain dropping from the lights when the caution was out. <laughs> um, they're not going to have what happened to Tony again last year. They're not. They had what? back-to-back years now because that New Hampshire race was 21 I believe where it was raining at the start of the race in turn one and three contenders get knocked out ironically there an upset upset win of some sorts Eric Almarola Daytona last year the contenders get knocked out an upset win a sort of upset win in Austin Dillon so they're not going to let this happen again back to the timing of the year point and Steven Stump brought this up uh, in our front stretch Slack channel he said he might have tweeted this as well that this should be the July 4th race and I thought about it I was like that's a really good idea but it won't be because this is an SMI track and Daytona and uh, July 4th has been a NASCAR owned track um, facility so oh politics never get involved in these decisions but it would be a really good July 4th race or do it the weekend after July 4th because you know uh, it was the perfect race you know it, it has a, a lackluster ending this game was very similar to the Super Bowl this year which was an exciting football game with a lackluster finish this was a very exciting race with a lackluster finish and it was the perfect product to display after you hooked a bunch of new fans with the Chicago street course it was the perfect race to follow it up with which it was insane from the drop of the green flag and you could argue that if the rain factor wasn't there, you probably wouldn't have had as much aggressive driving, especially in that middle part of that race. 100%. So, so I, I think overall, NASCAR clearly made the only decision they could make, which was be as conservative as possible, given the history of the last two years of having a notable wreck due to rainfall, which was... New Hampshire, ironically, where NASCAR is going this weekend, and then obviously Daytona in the cutoff race, and especially in these track in these races, the drafting races, where they're quote unquote wild card and anyone can win. So there were it was the only choice, it was the right choice, and you move on from it. I know William Byron won, and maybe if AJ got past him, there's a different reaction to this, but this happens. This is sports. Sports have bad endings sometimes. That's why there's multiple weeks. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. It was. I was so baffled. I was so baffled last night, uh, to be frank. I was watching the U.S.-Canada game after the race, and I was... Soccer. S- soccer, which was awesome. Shout out Matt Turner, an, an icon, an American hero. Um, and I was going through Twitter, which you do at night, and, and <laughs> fans were complaining. And I'm like Jeff Gluck. He's like, why? And I'm like, same. I just, I even, I texted Brian. Then I was like, why are you upset? There's no point. It's raining. Like, they couldn't have done anything. 
tray. Put the race in a dome, man. That fixes it. You know, I would love that. So, by the way, way back in the day, I think it was Sports Illustrated. Might as well say the name of the print publication because so many of these are shutting down. But Which the New York Times thing is... Fast five at five. Okay, I have a point about that. Well, we'll get to it momentarily. They used to have this real cool simulator of what a NASCAR venue would look like, whether it was like fully indoors or even partially indoors, and it looked really cool. And I always thought it'd be really neat to see. Obviously, costs and you know emission standards and everything else probably mean it's never going to happen. But it would be fun to watch what a NASCAR race or any motor race would look like in an indoor setting. Trey, you've taken driver's ed, right? Yeah, a long time ago now. I mean, it was even longer for me because I'm older than you are. I know. But uh, Hey, they, shout they, out to my dad. His birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Dad. Yeah, busy week. Your dad's birthday was yesterday. My twins was Friday. My wife's birthday was last Sunday. They are just <laughs> stacking I forgot up. that. Oh, I actually God. forgot how, like, in a week span, you have, yeah, the two most important birthdays in your life. Yeah, not mine. The others, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then the anniversary's in mid-June, so it's just, uh, you know, right now we're trying to work off all the debt from that. But anyway, Trey, here's the thing about, uh, you know, apparently I made you cough with that. Gagging the thought of what might lie ahead. That was, in, that was uh, funny, I have here. to admit. That was pretty funny. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. Caught Trey. me off guard. So anyway, back to your driver's ed. One of the things you're taught in driver's ed is that the slickest time during any kind of inclement weather, particularly rain, guess when that time is? dun da 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 it's the moment the rain starts coming down. Because any oil or fluids that might be out on the surface are not yet washed away. I'm not saying that's environmentally safe, but let's call a spade a spade here. It's not washed away until the rain has been coming down more steadily. What makes you think it's going to be safer on a NASCAR track where there are 43 cars going as fast as possible? Where they have put rubber down? in certain spots, but not in others. Where debris gets kicked off of a car, and yes, they clean up the biggest pieces of debris, but there's a lot of rubber that gets thrown around the track if you've never been there. And oh, by the way, yes, these cars give off various forms of fluid. What makes you think that going 200 miles an hour and that is a good thing? I mean, if you think it's a good thing, then please advise everyone else on the road out there to call Trost Law or at least have them on speed dial at 434-777-HERD because they might be hurt and might need Trost Law and they might need a new vehicle from Feller's Chevrolet. Now, if you want one and you're looking for one, it's a great time to call my guy, Chris, but we're not encouraging anyone to have to go about doing that because people are not using their brains when it comes to driving responsibly. Well, the same thing in NASCAR. You want to make sure they're using their brains and they did last night by deciding to call the race at the time they did. That was the smart thing. Now to another topic that Trey wanted to get to just a moment ago, and we'll get to it now here in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. First, it was the LA Times announcing its sports section will no longer have Box scores, standings, game stories, TV listings, or a daily sports calendar. Now, the New York Times, which, by the way, owns theathletic.com, and they have been laying off writers left and right recently at that publication. The New York Times, not The Athletic, but The New York Times, has announced it will disband its sports department. Probably going to rely on The Athletic for their sports content. Ed, you read my mind. That's what I was going to say. 
It is? Yeah, I was going to say, is I guess they'll just make the athletic their sports column. Do you tend to think that is going to be the case? I though? thought of an example. Jordan Bianchi even like, uh, posted about it. Like His article from Chicago got posted in the New York Times. Like It's clearly they're going to still have a sports section. It's just going to be kind of different. It's going to be called, it's going to be the athletic. Like I think that was the long-term plan when they originally bought the athletic. But of course, they had to present it as, no one's losing their jobs. We're still having a sports section, and the athletic's its own thing. Like, no, they're just going to make the athletic the athletic but it also is like the new york times sports part it's going to be consolidation which trey in the big corporate world is code for saving money yes I, I, it's yes. what espn's doing saving too. money and losing jobs that's in essence what this boils down to it's how the business works it's why we've said all along look i love the racket that we're in but it's a supply and demand deal of a lot of people want to be in these jobs which means you're not going to pay people a lot and oh by the way Jobs are cut more easily than they've ever been before. Number four. Megan Rapino, love her or hate her? She has announced that this will be her final soccer season for both the National Women's Soccer League. She plays in Seattle and the U.S. Women's Soccer League. Look, love her or despise her? Or maybe you fall somewhere in the middle like I do. I don't deny the fact that she's had a big impact on women's sports, that she's had a big impact on soccer, and that I can appreciate Megan Rapino, the player. Now, Megan Rapino, like the Victoria's Secret model or swimsuit model, eh, you know, not really my cup of tea. Maybe it is for other folks, and if that's, you know, someone you find attractive, male or female, hey, free country, nothing wrong with that. I, I personally, I never quite grasped that, but hey, to each is or her own. But... She has been a heck of a player for Team USA. Have I been a fan of you know, kind of her language and demonstrative behavior? Not exactly in a lot of cases, but I do get where she's coming from and ultimately respect the fact that she's helped put women's soccer on the map in a good way, both the equal pay opportunities and the chance for that, and I am within reason and as the market allows in favor of that and women's soccer uh, certainly it says a lot about women's sports and the potential for them when that comes out i can separate a number of different things where maybe i disagree with some of her comments and stances but ultimately see a bigger picture value to what she has brought and can at least celebrate and appreciate that as well number three man this is just sad Three weekends after being arrested for drunk driving in Pittsburgh and apparently checking out of a uh, clinical facility, West Virginia coach Bob Huggins is claiming, through one of his attorneys, Code, prepared to sue, that he never resigned as Mountain Industries basketball coach and is requesting, Code threatening to sue if he doesn't get, a return to power at the helm of his program. Look, there is documented evidence out there, and yes, he will have his day in court, and that's important to remember. But there is documented evidence out there of about a seven-hour gap where Bob Huggins was pulled over for DUI, had a receipt at Burger King seven hours earlier, excuse me, a fast food chain uh, uh, 20 plus miles away, and could not document how he got from said fast food chain to where he was pulled over for DUI. And oh, by the way, he had the incident with the slurs, the anti-Catholic homophobic slurs in April. He's had a couple of other instances of too much alcohol consumption and that being part of his past kind of seems like you're clinging to desperate opportunities and sensing something that's not there as opposed to doing what's truly in the best interest of your health you're upset and the reality is is maybe he's claiming he never was actually resigning because he wants the termination pay that comes out of this i would venture to say west virginia would probably fight him again this is just my non-legal expertise here they would probably fight him on this and say look we gave him a chance to resign 
or step away to save face. And he declined that. So now we're going to fight him a little bit more aggressively if we're West Virginia University on Bob Huggins. At this point, if you're sending your lawyers after WVU, what's to stop them from sending their lawyers back and saying, look, we tried to end this more diplomatically. That's not a route that you guys wanted, so we're going to go a little more scorched. That's where at some point you realize, hey, maybe it doesn't look very good, but I can say this. I, I have had instances of people in my family where alcohol abuse and other substance abuse problems have been very evident. And in the moment where people are still influenced by that, and especially in the short term afterwards where they're trying to get sober, trying to clean themselves up, their body is re-regulating, it's not always that prick, and it leaves a lot of collateral damage and it's how bridges get nuked. Number two. Speaking of things that don't look very good in the college sports landscape, Northwestern over the weekend suspending football coach Pat Fitzgerald two weeks without pay. Granted, these are two weeks in the offseason and nothing's happening anyway and really allowed to happen until the end of July. But two weeks without pay after an incident found hazing allegations within the program to be credible. Investors claim investigators supposedly did not find sufficient evidence that the staff knew about the hazing, but there were significant opportunities to discover and report it. Uh, Northwestern President Michael Schull, Schill going on to admit that he, quote, may have erred, end quote, when he suspended the coach for two weeks and that he, quote, focused too much on what the report concluded he didn't know, Pat Fitzgerald, and not enough on what he should have known, end quote. Um, here's the amazing thing about this. I will throw this out there, and I know guys like Richie Longshots, our guy from the CFRed.com, maybe even more vocal than I am about this, but it amazes me that in a world where the Northwestern, let me rephrase it, unbiased Northwestern media members, where you go learn to be an unbiased journalist, have lost all sense of irrationality in terms of defending Pat Fitzgerald and your program. That's the part where I just sit there and go, okay, how are we supposed to take it seriously if we have this bastion of great journalism that when their school is put under the microscope, all of a sudden they lose the ability to display said rational thinking and immediately go into defensive fanboy mode. And yes, I get that there's probably an irony of Liberty fans coming at that, considering Liberty uh, has had their own concerns and issues, but let's be real here. This is a situation that deserves a high level of scrutiny that is being brought upon it. Uh, do I expect Pat Fitzgerald to lose his job? Probably not. Uh, but here's the reality about this situation. It is not very good, but it's also not shocking because these type of things have popped up and we have heard about in other spots. Number two. Major League Baseball draft news and nuggets. First of all, the first two picks in the draft. This is where Trey gets to shine and show his knowledge from the Foul Ball Area podcast, which no doubt will recap all of this uh, over the next 24 to 48 hours or whenever they drop their next episode. Top two picks. Paul Skeens to the Pirates, ace pitcher from LSU, and then fellow LSU Tiger outfielder Dylan Cruz to the Washington Nationals at number two. Trey, should these have been the obvious one-two picks? Yep. Did you ever buy the Langford talk? Wyatt Langford, the Florida guy that was getting, quote, late steam, in quote, to go number one? Yeah, it's more of, it was all about money. I was like, I could see the Pirates being cheap. It, I mean, it's kind of the strategy of, it, baseball's weird where, like, you get a set amount of money for the entire draft. So if Pittsburgh wanted to go cheaper with Wyatt Langford at one, they could theoretically afford maybe a more expensive player with their next couple picks. Um, it's kind of dumb that way instead of just, you know, taking the best player available, which is Paul Skeens, which in my opinion was the only choice to make because when you can draft a, a basically an ace 
at one uh, is pretty good. You know who the Pirates uh, last drafted, you know, number one? Garrett Cole, right? There we go. Yeah, pitcher wise, yeah, and he he's done he's done pretty well for himself. So he I, as as he is the uh, starter for the AL tomorrow night in the All Star game. I love how, how you had to clarify and, and should have won it. Should have won a Cy Young by now. No bitter Craig Yankee fan coming well, out. Well, he the was way. with the Astros when he should have won the Cy Young. But the irony, of course, is you had to clarify that it's pitcher wise. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, because they've had so many other number one picks. And number one on the Fast Five at five-ish. The other part of the Major League Baseball draft, UVA's Kyle Teal. The catcher goes number 14 to the Boston Red Sox. And Drew Hackenberg from Virginia Tech. Second round, this one pains me because he goes to Atlanta, which, hey, yay for him. That's a heck of a situation because Atlanta is usually very good at identifying talent, including pitchers, and developing those players. So if I'm Drew Hackenberg, you're going to make a million and change in all likelihood in terms of guaranteed money. Good deal for him. Kyle Teal from UVA to Boston. Uh, you know, that good sucks. for him. But that sucks. As far as our rooting interest in the fast lane, eh, we might root for them to be part of trade packages, should we say. Yeah. I mean, he's going to Boston. I eh. Who likes the Red Sox? Hackenberg to Atlanta. Great Seven. pick. Great pick. And, I think it's a really good pick. They got really good value out of him. Um, you know, look at Spencer Strider. Look at Max Freed's. They they have a really good starting rotation. They develop. They have a really good young core. The Braves are the best team in baseball. I think it's a really good pick for him. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. When we return in the Fast Lane, more on those developments with JerryRackliffe.com founder Jerry Kuby Ratcliffe, our UBA reporter, and David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. Plus, there are other topics to address here in the Fast Lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. And you know where to hit us up, Fast Lane Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts.